Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I am your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. Today, I want to discuss with you what is new in the early treatment protocol of COVID-19. I had two patients in my office just this week. Both of these patients were quite frustrated. The first patient developed COVID within the last several days. He was 77 years of age. He was quite ill with his COVID symptoms. He had been to a local emergency room. His COVID test was positive. The doctors there told him to take Tylenol, drink plenty of fluids, and to come back if he developed additional symptoms. He and his wife were quite frustrated with that recommendation and ultimately ended up at my office requesting additional therapy. I can understand that frustration because in all of my medical career, that's not how we treat upper respiratory infections in the elderly. It's not how we treat serious viral illnesses. The second patient came into my office also with a COVID-19 viral infection, and she was confused. She said to me, Dr. Jackson, it seems like the recommendations for treating COVID are continually changing, and I'm not certain exactly how I should be treating myself at home. And she's exactly right. And that's because COVID is a, a new illness. It's been around about two years now, and the recommendations are constantly evolving. The early treatment protocol that was developed by the uh, COVID Critical Care Alliance in, and published in February of 2021 uh, has been changing. It's been evolving. There's lots of research into what actually does and does not work. Uh, some of the things that I have been doing actually is no longer in vogue, and I've had to modify my treatment protocol after I read the most recent recommendations that came out uh, just this last month. So I want to share with you some of the uh, current COVID-19 Frontline Doctor Critical Care Alliance recommendations. Now, I also want to precede all of this by sharing with you some information and a couple of quotes to help you understand the, the environment in which both you and your doctors operate today. I want you to understand that we all operate in a vacuum of truth. Let me read to you a quote from a Harvard Medical School MD named John Abramson, in which he states, The first step is to give up the illusion that the primary purpose of modern medical research is to improve Americans' health most effectively and efficiently. In our opinion, the primary purpose of commercially funded clinical research is to maximize financial return on investment, not health. And many physicians have understood that 
for a number of years now that commercially funded clinical research is primarily involved in maximizing the financial return of their investors, and they're no longer interested in the health of individual Americans. The next quote I want to bring to you is from the editor of The Lancet, which is a British medical journal. His name is Richard Horton, and he states that we are living through a period of time characterized by a vacuum of truth with misinformation, disinformation, blatant lies, censorship, and nefarious intentions being the order of the day. It is difficult to dissect out the actual truth and discern whom to trust. Furthermore, it is no longer controversial to acknowledge that drug makers rigorously control medical publishing and that the Lancet, New England Journal of Medicine, and JAMA are utterly corrupted instruments of big pharma. The Lancet editor, Richard Horton, confirms journals have devolved into information laundering operations for the pharmaceutical industry. Well, one more quote. Dr. Marshall Angel, who served as New England Journal of Medicine editor for 20 years, says journals are primarily a marketing machine. Pharma, she says, has co-opted every institution that might stand in its way. Complex scientific and moral problems are not resolved through censorship of dissenting opinions, deleting content from the Internet, or defaming scientists and authors who present information challenging to those in power. Censorship leads instead to greater distrust of both government institutions and large corporations. And we see that happening every day with the censorship of information contrary to what the government, the CDC, and the FDA are promoting. And we see folks that are presenting dissenting opinions being deleted from uh, Twitter or Facebook or other media platforms and they're not allowed to present their opinions that may be different from the prevailing opinion that's being presented by the government or the FDA or the CDC or Dr. Fauci. Now, I also want you to understand that the use of off-label drugs is something that's been done by physicians for many, many years. In fact, over 30% of prescriptions written by doctors in the United States are for the off-label use of regularly prescribed drugs in the United States. Once the FDA approves a prescription medication, federal laws allow any U.S. physician to prescribe the duly approved drug for any reason. 30% of all prescriptions written by American doctors exercising their medical judgment are for off-label uses. The Attorney General of Nevada recently, as well as many other states, have asserted the right of physicians to prescribe off-label drugs, such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine for the treatment of COVID-19. So, I want us to understand that there's not one single medication 
one single drug that's going to be a magic bullet for the treatment of COVID-19. But rather, because it's a complex illness, there are going to be multiple medications and over-the-counter medications, prescription drugs and over-the-counter medications that are going to be used for the effective early treatment of COVID-19. And I want to go through some of those with you today to help you understand what the early treatment protocol looks like and what the most recent recommendations are. Also, I want us to understand that the first five to ten days of COVID involves viral replication. That's when the symptoms begin. The fever, the malaise, the cough, the headache, the diarrhea, these occur from probably day five to day ten. That's when antiviral therapy is most effective, either with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or monoclonal antibodies. Then from day 11 to day 14, that's when the cytokine storm begins. That's when the inflammatory reaction begins. Patients will then be short of breath. Their blood oxygen level will drop. They might need um, up to four liters per minute of oxygen by nasal cannula. Their oxygen sats will be less than 94%. This is when methylprednisolone will be effective. The, The dose of ivermectin will need to be increased. It'd be a good idea to put them on some kind of blood thinner at that point in time to prevent blood clots. All through this course, medications like melatonin, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, the omega-3s, a statin drug, and fluvoxamine, all of these are beneficial because of their anti-inflammatory and immune-modulating properties. And it's not because my patients are deficient in vitamin C or vitamin D, although sometimes they may be, but it's because the vitamin D, the vitamin C, the melatonin, the zinc, these elementals and these vitamins are anti-inflammatory. Now, I want us to look at these things individually, and I want us to understand exactly what they do and why they are beneficial to my patients. First of all, let's start with ivermectin. Let's understand why ivermectin is beneficial. I also want you to understand that there's been more than 30, it's probably up to 60 or 70 now, either randomized control studies or observational studies around the world that have documented the safety and effectiveness of ivermectin in the treatment of COVID. Now, let's put that into perspective so you will understand. Over 50% of drugs that have been approved for use in the United States by the International Drug Safety Association have been approved on the basis of only one randomized control trial or on the basis of expert opinion only. Let me say that again. 
Over 50% of the drugs that your physicians prescribe in the United States have been approved by this organization on the basis of only one randomized controlled trial or on the basis of expert opinion only. And yet ivermectin has over 30 and perhaps up to as many as 60 randomized controlled trials or observational trials that document the safety, safety and effectiveness of ivermectin in the treatment of COVID, decreasing hospitalizations, decreasing morbidity, and decreasing the deaths of patients affected by COVID around the world. And why FDA or CDC or NIH does not approve ivermectin for the treatment of COVID, I simply do not understand. And I'm not the only one who does not understand. There are many physicians in high places in this country who are pulling out their hair because they do not understand the suppression of the truth. So, what does ivermectin do? Ivermectin is an antiviral and an anti-inflammatory. That's why it's so important to use it in the first five days because of the antiviral replication effect. It prevents the virus from replicating in your system. And then after that first five to ten days, it's a potent anti-inflammatory and it prevents that inflammation in the lungs that causes my patients to be so ill, to have so much congestion in their lungs, so much inflammation in their lungs. It helps them to not develop viral pneumonia and hypoxia. Interestingly, I've had numbers of patients who told me that they had arthritis in multiple joints for years, but when I put them on ivermectin for their viral pneumonia, that their joint pain immediately resolved. That's just an anecdotal, interesting observation that I've made, but it's because ivermectin is a potent anti-inflammatory. You will also be interested to know that there are numbers of studies being uh, undertaken at the present time, evaluating ivermectin for the treatment of multiple different cancers. So there's a lot of uses for ivermectin other than just treating viral illnesses like dengue fever, yellow fever, um, malaria, and COVID. Now, the other thing that I want you to understand is that melatonin helps to treat COVID. And it's because, again, it has um, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and immune modulating benefits. Children, interestingly, have high levels of circulating melatonin that approximates the level of that that we observe in bats. Elderly people, contrarywise, have low levels of melatonin, especially those over the age of 60. And this may partially explain why children are protected and the elderly are not so well protected from COVID-19. Elderly are more vulnerable to COVID. If you take melatonin, uh, it's important to take the slow release or extended release formulation. 
Another part of the early treatment protocol is oral pharyngeal hygiene with twice-daily antiviral mouth wash or gargle. And the thing that's recommended, it's chlorhexidine or a povidine iodine solution or acetylpyridinium chloride. Uh, you can also use iodine nasal spray or nasal drops. Uh, all of these using, used two to three times per day will help to uh, sterilize the nose or the oropharynx and it helps to uh, prevent the virus from replicating in your nose and posterior pharynx. Hi, this is Bob of Bob Sloan Audio Productions. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast yourself? Do you have a desire to communicate an idea, opinion, or even a hobby or interest you'd like to share with the world? And do you have the communication skill and dedication? If so, let's talk. Send an email and a short description of your idea to bob at bobsloan.com. That's bob at b-o-b-s-l-o-n-e dot com. Now let's get back to the podcast. Another early treatment recommendation is monoclonal antibodies for post-exposure prophylaxis. A single subcutaneous injection or IV infusion of monoclonal antibody has been proven to reduce the risk of symptomatic COVID by as much as 92.6%. Monoclonal antibodies are recommended in high-risk individuals, namely folks over 65, especially those who are obese, pregnant, chronic kidney disease, diabetes, immunosuppressed patients, folks with coronary artery disease, things like that. Also, hydroxychloroquine is a possibility, but it seems to have been falling into a little bit of uh, disfavor, if that's a word we want to use. Um, it has some issues, and some of the studies that were used um, were not uh, good studies. So it, it, it does work, and I have used it quite effectively in a good number of patients, but as far as the FLCCC protocol, uh, hydroxychloroquine is optional and not part of their strong recommendation. Now, let's look at nutritional supplements. Curcumin, or turmeric, uh, has antiviral activity against a whole number of viruses, including COVID. It it's a spice that has anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and immunomodulating properties. And there are a number of studies that document all of that. Also, nigella sativa, also known as black cumin, mixed with honey. Both of these, honey and the nigella sativa, have antiviral, antimicrobial, and anti-inflammatory effects. And they're both quite safe. So that's part of the early treatment protocol. Vitamin D is a part of the early treatment protocol because of its anti-inflammatory properties. It's important to check a vitamin D level because so many of my patients are vitamin D deficient. 
and they may need to be given the 50,000 IU international unit dose uh, twice a week in order to get their vitamin D level up to the uh, normal level. Probiotics are now a part of the early treatment protocol and there appears to be a bi-directional relationship between the microbiome that's the bacteria that grows in your gut especially bifidobacterium and COVID-19. Uh, so low levels of bifidobacterium may predispose to COVID-19 and increase its severity. So taking a uh, probiotic is very helpful. Next thing to recommend is vitamin C, either 500 or 1,000 milligrams twice a day. Also quercetin, 250 milligrams daily. These drugs should not be taken simultaneously though. They have to be staggered morning and night. Vitamin C has important anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and immune enhancing properties. Uh, there's a group of nurse practitioners that have a facility close to my office that will give infusion therapy with fluids and high-dose vitamin C to patients who have COVID-19 and a number of my patients have told me that after the high-dose vitamin C infusions, IV, that they have felt dramatically better within 24 hours after receiving both ivermectin and high-dose vitamin C infusions along with thiamine and the IV fluids. So there is something to that vitamin C infusion. I would also note that zinc is a part of the early treatment protocol. Dr. Zelenko in New York noted this from the very beginning. He was treating lots and lots of COVID patients in New York, probably more than anybody else in the very beginning. And he was one of the first ones to note that zinc, 50 milligrams twice a day, was um, providing strong benefit to his patients. Um, you have to be careful, though, because prolonged high-dose zinc can lead to copper deficiency. We recommend also that folks obtain a pulse oximeter to keep at home in case you get COVID-19 or a family member so that you can monitor oxygen levels. The proper use of a pulse oximeter is to use the middle finger to make sure the finger is warm and dry, and you should me measure multiple measurements, not just a single measurement, to ascertain what the average uh, O2 saturation actually is. Now let's talk a few minutes about COVID long haul. I've had a number of patients come to see me who've had COVID for many weeks or even months. I had a patient came to see me just three to four weeks ago who'd had COVID symptoms for six months. She was seeing a pulmonologist in town. She was still requiring two to four liters of nasal O2 every day. She was constantly tired, constantly coughing, short of breath with exertion, and she was had brain fog, forgetful, sometimes confused, 
Um, she was on a cortisone inhaler, which was appropriate. Um, and pretty much that was it as far as treatment was concerned, but she was quite frustrated. Uh, I immediately placed her on vitamin D, vitamin C. I put her on pravastatin, which is a statin drug, and for the anti-inflammatory properties, fluvoxamine, which is an SSRI for its anti-inflammatory properties, and I put her on ivermectin. I placed her on an every-other-day dose, and I gave her some prednisone every day for two weeks. When she came back to see me in three weeks, she immediately said, Dr. Jackson, you have given me my life back. She was no longer on oxygen. She was no longer tired. She was no longer coughing, and the brain fog had resolved. It's amazing to me how this combination of treatment for people who have COVID long haul improves their symptoms. Now, it's not that easy for everybody. Some people take longer treatment. They require some different medications. They don't all get well that fast, but it is amazing to me how many patients improve with appropriate treatment. COVID long haul is a legitimate condition. It's a disabling condition, and it requires treatment with anti-inflammatories, prednisone, cortisone inhaler, anti-inflammatory vitamins, and it can be treated. And the patients are so grateful when you give them the appropriate therapies. And so I just want my listening audience to understand that there is an early treatment protocol for COVID that is very effective. And when caught and treated appropriately and aggressively, 90 plus percent of my patients have stayed out of the hospital, out of the ICU. My patients who've had COVID long haul have done well. Um, I, I can't say that all of them do well because some are complicated people. They have lots of comorbidities, um, but I've had some who've had severe COPD and heart disease who have improved dramatically with appropriate long-haul treatment. I would say to all of you, pray hard for our nation. Pray for your family and friends who have COVID. Pray for your doctors because this is a difficult illness and your doctors need wisdom and discernment. And we're always grateful for your prayers. Thank you and God bless you one and all. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. If you'd like to contribute to further the efforts of the ministry, you can support them at patreon.com forward slash Jackson Family Ministries. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.